Now for a show by a brother and sister who are polar opposites, but who both found a calling running solo businesses. This is the Unfederated Podcast. Hey, Sarah, how's it going? Pretty good. Um, just doing the home renovation stuff still. So that's, Oh, yeah. Re- that's recording life. live from the uh, patio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's it's real mayhem <laughs> over here in our household. Um, but you're used to that because you're moving right now. Uh, yeah, we started uh, emptying out the attic and going through boxes the other day. Um, if you follow me on Instagram, you saw some of the wonderful things that I found as a as a byproduct of that. Uh, some really odd things from our childhood that we have. Yeah, our mom made us do a lot of like collecting. Yes, yes, and 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 in this instance, a lot of getting rid of things. <laughs> the collecting as a child results in just in the mass exodus of owning things in your thirties. That's for sure. Yeah, I did. I, I was talking to, I was texting with our uh, cousin whose mom did a lot of collecting. <laughs> with oh yeah. Mom. And we were talking about how we just don't have like the sentimental side of things because we've, we've grew up in this world of like, you know, antique booths and yard sales. We don't have the sentimental connection to stuff. It's just, you know, we're easy, like these childhood collections that we spent years amassing. We're just like, yeah, we'll sell it. It's fine. (laughs) Throw it away. During renovations in my house, which was built in 1892, this morning, um, our person, uh, he found a, a folding knife in the wall. That's awesome. Um, that's like covered in rust or, you know, it's like really old looking. Um, and it says comrade really big Ooh, on it. All right. <laughs> So I looked up uh, the type and it, it's like from the 1800s. So a little, um, I don't know, communist, I guess, <laughs> lived in our house uh, 125 years ago. I was about to say, now you've got a, a, a name candidate for a future future baby. <laughs> and this is Comrade. <laughs> comrade Keach. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's solid. Yeah, it's a it's real fun. So yeah, I don't know. I'm like, well, I guess I keep this, and then I like keep it with the house somehow. <laughs> I don't know. So my uh, dad and stepmom lived in a really old house um, for many years, and my stepmom was a big gardener, and she used to find stuff in the yard all the time, like little medicine bottles and stuff. And like went and found out that at some point there was like a civil war. Um, I don't know if this is the right word, but encampment, like a bunch of civil war soldiers stayed there for some period of time. You're kidding. And so like, you know, marbles and like all kinds of really random old, you know, stuff when she's digging in the yard. And so she had this like shelf of all the weird, like, you know, that's so cool. And yeah, it's just kind of, kind of odd. I did not know that, but and, I love it. And then I think about all the stuff that the workers building our house leave all over the house that someday will be unearthed by like decade, decades from now and think, oh, okay, what is this? Or all, all of those stopwatches that I slid behind the drywall when I went to visit. Yeah. <laughs> Scheduled go. for 2020. <laughs> the alarm clocks. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that'd be terrible. Um, all right. You're just like running around with a sledgehammer. (laughs) (laughs) Change orders. Uh, So I've got, I've got something for you as we, I think kind of, uh, round out our mini series on marketing. 
And the last couple episodes, you've kind of been asking me stuff uh, based on uh, organic needs uh, that you and your your cohort of attorneys uh, have. And so uh, I've been wrestling with something on my end, which is probably from the paralysis by analysis kind of frame of mind from reference. Um, But it's one of those things I feel like is helpful to talk through. And that is in the the realm of email marketing. Yeah. And this, this is a real issue that I think about a lot. It's really hard for um, uh, freelancers and solo practitioners to effectively utilize email marketing, right? Like unless you have a marketing team generating content and putting those newsletters together, it's a huge yeah. Well, I'll describe, so I've kind of gone in like a loop or two maybe with, with my thinking on this already. And, and I think it's kind of a natural thing to struggle with as far as like the, what generates me moving from point to point in this loop. Right. Um, so wanted to do email marketing, uh, felt like a really easy, like I have thoughts and lessons and whatever to share. It seemed like a way to be in front of people at a very, in a very cost efficient way which makes, uh, you know, music to my ears as a freelancer. And in the early days, I had plenty of time. So, like, I could write stuff and I sent it out and it was great. And then as I got busier, um, you know, the time to do that became more valuable. And so it became more costly to to do, you know, to do email marketing. And at some point, I I recognized, too, that, like, I mean, I had a, a, a pretty modest email list. You know, I'm not like an influencer, nor do I want to be. And so at some point the cost benefit of this whole world kind of shifted and it was like, okay, I'm spending an hour writing this article, grammar check, you know, proofread, whatever, finding the image for it, formatting it and the email template, sending it out. And it's like, you know, to 40 people. Right. And so like that's 40 people who are very qualified to, you know, to receive this and are the 40 people I want to send it to, but it's not a ton of people. It's not like I'm sending it to 10,000 people or something. And so like, you know, I, in my mind, after going through doing this for a few weeks, I was like, okay, well, it's just so much effort just to stay in front of like 40 people. Like that's not that many people. And so I was like, well, what I should do instead of doing email is I should just be putting on all of this on a blog. So it's open to the whole web. So like millions of people could see it. And so I would go through that transition and be like, okay, I want to, you know, at one point it was like medium. I was going to put it all on medium. Right. And then more recently it's been the blog that I run and I'm gonna put it all in there and then, you know, organic search and, you know, um, SEO, whatever, uh, open to the whole world. And then you actually see like how much of the whole world actually comes and reads your content, you know, and it, and it's, it, it starts feeling like the 40 people you were just sending emails to, except you don't get to put it in their inbox. You have to somehow entice them to come look at your site. And so you're like, well, maybe it wasn't email wasn't so bad after all. And so then like now you've completed the loop. Right. And, and so I feel like I've done this in the two years I've been freelancing. I've, I've made this loop, um, in some way, somehow, already a couple times. And it's, it's like, I struggle to know kind of where emails role is in this and whether it's like, you know, great, um, uh, over embellished, uh, or a important part of a mix of stuff, you know, which then when you start talking about mix of stuff, now you're talking about even more time, uh, of doing it in some sort of sophisticated way, which again, I'm a marketer 
you know, plumbers always have their worst pipes, right? Like, you know, uh, it's, it's the hard thing for me to do, but, um, yeah. Uh, so that's my, that's my crux. That's, that's the circle I go round and round in. So, yeah, you, you decide the audience is too small just to be sending it to the 40 people and then you post it online and you realize like just gravity is not pulling that many either. Mm-hmm. So you circle back around. Is there like a third option where you can kind of explode it into a bigger, even bigger than just like medium? Well, I think um, some outliers to this that I've that I've wrestled with, and and you and I have talked about this some on and off uh, the show, is is one direction I could go is create less but more uh, generous content. So, like, not publish every week, for example, like a little you know four hundred word post, right? But maybe like build these like you know, all encompassing guides to X, like these really huge posts that are well-researched or uh, lengthy, um, you know, well-documented, whatever, and post one of those a month, for example, you know, like consolidate all my efforts into something that is of more value than, than it, it's kind of the balance between value and consistency, right? Cause there's something to be said for like being consistent. There's also something to be said for, uh, only speaking when you have something to say, you know, and, and like sharing the best of what you've got to offer. And, and so, um, I, you know, I've thought about that again in this world where at one point in time I had plenty of time to give and now I feel like I had, don't have plenty of time to give. Um, it's, it's harder to think about, you know, like, am I going to make a project out of this? That's like a multi-week project where I'm going to work on, you know, like it, it, now it's leveled up and it's become this even bigger, more, um, uh, daunting responsibility. Um, so, you know, meh. um, and you know, I think the other piece then is coming up with some sort of more like, uh, holistic strategy, right? Like, you know, I'm going to do a little bit over here, you know, at this kind of, you know, periodically I'm going to do a little over there in some sort of, uh, rhythm, you know, and, and kind of check all the boxes. Um, maybe you're not emailing as frequently, or maybe you're not posting online as frequently, but you're doing both and, and accommodating both of those audiences. Um, cause I've, I've found some people were like, Oh, I don't want to give you my email address. I'll just read it on your blog. And some people are like, Hey, I'm never going to look at your blog. I'd rather you just email it to me. And so there's, there's a user preference thing, which again, when you're talking about like, you know, a, a really modest audience, like it, that's dividing your, your effort even more. So, you know, like if, if the 40 people on my email list uh, prefer to read the blog, you know, then or some portion of them do, um, then you're talking about even smaller group that you're, you're sending stuff to. Who do you know who's done it well, um, used email, uh, marketing in particular? Well, so that's a great question. Um, the people I think of that I admire and the way they do it are mostly it's, it's an, it's an ancillary thing for them. Um, and, and I guess in my case it is for me too, but most of them are like, um, uh, you know, authors or people that sell classes online and, and it's all like content driving you, you know, building upon something until they try to get you to sell their, or try to get you to buy their class, you know? So it's, it's like very focused on its purpose. Um, or it's someone that's doing what, um, you know, you've probably heard the term SaaS, like software as a service. Um, I've, I've written before about, uh, curation as a service, 
you know, like we're all inundated with so much information. There becomes space in the in the ecosystem to like um, the your the value you provide is consolidating all of the information into something concise and and helpful. And so that kind of curation as a service, like I've, I do get email. Uh, I subscribe to email lists that people are essentially doing that. They're you know they're going out into a particular space. They're surveying all the articles and they're coming back and distilling that back, uh, down to something usable for me. And, you know, all of that's great. They all have their different, um, you, you know, uh, purposes, right? Um, some of them are free. Some of them are wanting, you know, the, the um, curation as a service. Those people are usually trying to figure out a way to monetize that because it's, it's time consuming, but there's not like a clear way to monetize it um, outside of ads and then of course the authors, um, you know, or the, the class sellers, it's pretty obvious what their, you know, what the purpose of, of their efforts are. And for me, it's, it's a marketing thing. It's, it's me staying in front of the right people and sharing my opinion and positioning myself as a, as an expert. Um, but uh, you know, I don't want to be like an influencer and, and I don't, and like, it, there's not like a direct ROI to it, right? Like there's not a, I could do this for years and yeah, it might like turn into a couple of people referring some folks to me or, you know, a client, but like, it's hard to connect the dots on all of that and say, Oh, okay. Well, you know, the, however many, you know, the 52 hours a year I spend doing this once a week, uh, paid off, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, um, that's kind of where it comes into play. Like what's, well, I will say as a consumer, not a marketing person, I feel like the newsletters have, there's only, you know, there's only a couple that don't, aren't annoying. Um, but even the annoying ones serve a purpose because, you know, I, I've as co-counsel worked my way onto lots of email lists for different law firms and there's two or three who I'm on the newsletter list for and I stay on it because I'm like, well, let's see what they're doing, you know, <laughs> like, but every time it's in my inbox, I'm like, oh yeah, they exist, you know, and that probably in and of itself, just reminder that the, the actual firm exists and is doing whatever the title of the newsletter says is probably valuable. I would say for my own, I was thinking about it for my own purposes. I think that'd probably be really valuable the first time and then have declining value, uh, but might be useful like on a quarterly basis just to, you know, shake loose all of those current clients or contacts you have who are meaning to send something to you but haven't yet. And then that reminds them about you um, or it reminds them about you. And then they hear about something the next day and they're like, oh, yeah, how about that, Sarah? Um so just name recognition and getting in front of people um, seems to be valuable. But I've noticed in those particular newsletters, they started out with a lot of decent content that I would like click on and read. But I mean, it, pretty immediately, it's clear that they're having somebody else write everything who doesn't know anything. Um, so it's, the content's not good. And that's what's so hard about it, right? Like it's something that has to have a pretty specific voice and like as a, you know, a, a business an organization has a much more corporate voice. Right. But like we as freelancers have a much more personable, I mean, it's more authentic, uh, cause there's a, a single person, not a, not a company image to maintain. 
And so that becomes really difficult to outsource in a way that's um, meaningful. I mean, you know, and, and honestly, a lot of it for me is like, I have stuff I want to say, like I have opinions about stuff and I want to share that for why I don't know, but for some reason I feel <laughs> compelled to do that sometimes. And, and so like outsourcing isn't even something that like, you know, uh, I, I necessarily would even want to do because part of it, the fun of it is, is I, I think for me, a lot of what I'm sending out, I mean, it certainly has marketing value. As you mentioned, it, it, could be about a topic that helps reposition me in the marketplace, you know, like if I've gotten into like a new vertical, you know, and I want to make sure people know that I do that other thing too. It's like a great way to kind of, uh, take my, you know, uh, followers along for a ride, if you will, as my business changes. Um, but I think the thing that's, that is most enjoyable about it for me is I love the notion that I'm going to think through something well enough that I feel comfortable like putting it out in the world for everyone to shoot holes in, you know, um, and in a world where I don't really have like, uh, colleagues to talk through stuff with in, in particular, cause you know, it's just me like having, you know, there's not that banter around the office or, uh, among, you know, in staff meetings or whatever. So the notion of having to like think through and test my own thoughts and put together an argument that I feel comfortable, you know, putting out there, uh, is, it feels like a really healthy or helpful exercise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes um, it's disastrous. I mean, you know, sometimes you put it out there and it's garbage and everyone shoots holes in it and it's fine. But like that, that is helpful too. Cause then it's, you know, now I know that I need to go back to the drawing board on that or, you know, I haven't thought through it well enough. Uh, other times I put something out that, you know, um, I feel like gets good traction and I feel good about, you know, but those pieces are kind of fewer and far between. What um, role does creating content have for you um, in your business? Um, I think, well, two. I think it's two or three things. There was there was a guy um, in uh, in my space, a social social media guy. This is like years ago, like in you know, and as the grandfather of the internet, as we've established. Um, <laughs> uh, this is decades ago when you know when all these young kids uh, could barely walk. Um, there's there's a guy that had this uh, little quip that he said that what makes good um, content online. Uh, is a liken to Old McDonald. Old McDonald had a farm, E-I-E-I-O. The E-I-E-I-O is an acronym for entertainment, uh, inform, um, encourage, uh, inspire, or outrage. <laughs> Those are the three. And, and I feel like, you know, in a world where, and I think a lot of freelancers fall in this category, there's a million graphic designers, there's a million, you know, digital marketers, whatever. There's, you know, uh, one way you can kind of separate yourself is having, um, I, I won't say controversial opinions. Like this isn't like the Howard Stern shock jock kind of thing, but like one way I can, I can, um, position myself uniquely is to have strong opinions about stuff that's going on, you know? And, and so some of the best performing posts, like the one I have on medium that has far and away done the best is one that's like hypercritical of Google and the Google partners program, which I'm a member of, you know? And, and it's like no agency that's a Google partner is going to publish that post, you, you know, cause that's like, true. Yeah. like that's just one of those things an organization doesn't do, but a person can. And I mean, I've been linked to by other agencies writing posts I've like, you know, it's, it's gotten a lot of traction. And like every week I get the email from media and it's like, Oh, 50 more people read your thing, you know? 
Um, and so there, there is that kind of that strong opinion, uh, contrarian, you know, kind of thing, um, that I think is valuable. And so, um, I, I think I, I position myself a lot as someone that, uh, uses data to make decisions. And so anytime I can write a, a post there, that's kind of idealistic or, um, contrarian by nature, but I, I can introduce data to make my argument. That's the somewhat counter culture. Um, I think that makes for a good post, you know, and kind of shows a little bit of who I am. Um, but mostly I think it's just, uh, you know, getting to share my opinions in the world to be tested and to just to remind people that I exist and, and perhaps like allow them to follow me for this ride that I'm on, you know, um, not like, Oh, Hey, ho freelancer, but more like, you know, a business person, you know, someone that's providing uh, a service in the space. Yeah. I, yeah, I think you've done that really well. Like your website being Rob Bettis and making the brand you, you know, and parts of that are like that you're big into parks and rec trivia <laughs> and but other parts of that are like that you're posting strong opinions and in, in the industry that you're in. Um, and all of that rounds out. I think that's, as a consumer, what I want to see when I'm following somebody is um, more who they are as a person and less like what their um, college nephew who's copywriting for them had to say about trademarks or whatever, you know. <laughs> like it could be something really short, but if it was uh, personal from somebody – it would um, be way more useful than if it sounded like them. A company that does a really good job of having a really good voice, even though it's a company, uh, is in Denver. It's called Women in Kind, Wink. And their Instagram following and stuff is like, you know, it, it, it takes really strong opinions. Um, they have like really hilarious stuff that they post all the time. That's It's a women-owned co-working space. Um, but really stands out amongst all of the other uh, company accounts I follow for having a really good social media voice. Um, and so something like that, I think, you know, people are always afraid to alienate, but to your point, I think probably you're more likely to get those 40 good followers, <laughs> and, um, by alienating maybe a couple of people. Well, yeah. And I was just thinking, as you were saying that, um, one thing that's interesting about having strong opinions online that I think a lot of people fear it will alienate. And if you have a business where your goal is to get as big as possible, then that's a problem, right? You don't want to alienate anyone. Um, if you only need 10 good clients or whatever, you know, as, as a lot of freelancers do, it, it has a self-selection element to it, right? Like if you're annoyed by or disagree with all of my opinions, then we probably don't need to work together anyways, you know, like, and so, but if you agree with them or find value in them, then like I, I am positioning myself as a good, you know, a uh, service provider for you. Right. And so that piece, I mean, there's certainly the marketing aspect of it from that. Um, I had a, you know, a client, uh, I think I referenced this on one of our last shows uh, not long ago, that was saying, I don't want a ton of leads. I just want really good leads, you know? And I was like, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> um, and, and it's the same way, you know, it's like, I don't, I don't want my business to get too big. Oh, okay. That's fine. Um, you know, that's one of, in my space, a couple of the ad networks allow you to target based on income. And like one of the funny things that every, 
um, client does if they know that is they always want to target the people with all the money, (laughs) (laughs) of course, but like that's the most expensive people to target because everyone else feels the same way, you know? Um, and so there's, there's kind of an aspect of that that is, is hard to, um, you know, hard to see past or whatever. That's really interesting. I didn't know that that was part of the back end was an income filter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a hundred plus everyone wants a hundred plus. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, that'd be my knee jerk reaction too, but like, of course everyone wants that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, um, it, yeah. And those aren't necessarily the decision makers, um, either. Right. And, and quite honestly, I think for a lot of retail products, in particular, which is where I'm working on, like, yeah, that sounds great, but there's a ton of people that aren't in that bucket that are buying your stuff. You know, just like, it's easy to say, Oh, the people that have tons of dispensable income. Yes. But like the harder, more challenging, but rewarding marketing is finding all the people that are making a more conscientious decision, but still choosing you, which is a huge, much more larger piece of the, the population, you know? Yeah. Yeah, like you, I mean, and, and to your point, the people in the higher income are being sought after uh, by so many different, more competitive and more elite seeming luxury brands. So, mm-hmm. yeah, just give me all the billionaires. I want yeah. All the billionaires. <laughs> I want to sell them this $12 widget. <laughs> That's funny. Um, that reminds me of OkCupid okay back in the day. I had like, a, you could filter by income. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you can filter by income. I I don't think I don't think that's a lie. I think that's true. Dude, there were like a million different categories that you could filter by, like high age, like hobbies, kids, no kids, all that. Cro- um, cross-eyed, not cross-eyed. Cr- cross-eyed, <laughs> yeah. Really tried for cross-eyed, like religious beliefs, uh, pets, allergies, <laughs> like smoking, drinking, all of it. Like by the end, you've filled out 20 different uh, features and you're like, who is this going to create for me? <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I created my husband. There you go. it's true so are you guys are you guys doing any content marketing like in particular uh any that's like outbound like email no we've talked about it but it's such a labor-intensive situation um one of the good things about partnering up with other people is sharing the workload on that right like in theory if it's just you um and you're trying to promote the company of you uh, and you have to spend 30% of your time doing that, then if you have four people, you could spend less than 30% per person and you know, be promoting the shared company of four people. Um, in reality, there's a lot more. Uh, it feels like everybody's doing just as much as you would do on your own <laughs> a lot of the time. Um, but, you know, we're also kind of uh, getting started um, with the new stuff, and that takes more startup energy. And, um, and realistically, I mean, I only was purely, purely by myself for, you know, six months or something. And, and that was a lot more of my time just generating content and trying to figure out how to do all that stuff. Um, once you kind of have your systems up, it's relatively easy. And this last couple of months, we've done a really good job. My partners have of, you know, like there's at least one blog post up every week. Um, and then, 
the tricky part is like we talked about last time is you, you usually put a blog post up and then you share it on your your firm's or your company's Facebook group that like only your friends and family have liked or followed and then you share it on LinkedIn um but as you pointed out Facebook and LinkedIn deprioritize uh links to other sites and so only the people I mean it's like your your brother <laughs> who clicks on it you know and nobody else um, so it kind of feels like we're putting a whole bunch of blog posts up and trying to direct people to our website, but it's just not getting there. So maybe newsletters would make a whole lot of sense as far as that's concerned. Yeah. Yeah. There's, uh, I think we talked about this last week, but this notion, uh, this, uh, I guess, I guess it was an article that was published a while back, uh, called a thousand true fans. And it was this idea that like you don't need everyone you just need a few people and but but for them to really like believe you believe in you and you know whatever true fans um and i think about that a lot in the context of of freelancerhood because that's true of of many folks you know like we don't need that many people but to your point that you're making like the labor of of doing this for 40 people versus 40,000 people is largely the same, <laughs> you know, I mean, you might up your game a little bit if it's going to 40,000 people, but like all the steps and the work that's, uh, you know, being, being done is, is largely the same. And, uh, that's, you know, that reality, uh, shared amongst a group of people. Great. Um, as just individuals, it's, it's kind of hard and it's hard to do it in a way that's not just like every, you know, every a-hole has an opinion and here's mine, you know, um, like to actually put something that's unique or, or, um, uh, creative out there is even more difficult because in my world, at least every time, like a new, you know, Google rolls out a new feature. Well, here's all the privacy people that have their like privacy shit shtick. Here's <laughs> all the, like, you know, here's all the marketing people that talk about how great it's going to be like, you know, here's all the, whatever each camp has their own tired opinions about things. And like, trying to not just be one voice of many, uh, is super challenging. Yeah. And, and like just being a person who's in charge of that. I mean, I think we've talked about it enough to determine that the outsourcing, you, you lose the value that is providing to yourself, at least if you outsource it, you know, you don't get the feedback and the critical thought, you know, having to know something well enough to post an article that other lawyers are going to read about that topic is kind of a new level of confidence to get to. Um, so it does take time, it takes effort, and then you do know it better at the end. So it's all good. And you lose that value by out, out outsourcing for sure. Um, but you just, uh, I don't know, the consistency is so hard if it's just you or it's you and a couple of people. Because if it works and you get a bunch of business, like you don't have time to thoughtfully sit there and craft a three-hour, you know, <laughs> Um, article on something and then promote it across a number of platforms. Um, and then you'll just be radio silent for months and months and you just lose that um, momentum. Yeah. I really thought in the early days, I was like, no matter what, I'm going to always carve out enough time to do something, you know, like to keep <laughs> this, cute. like, yeah. like uh, here's my two things I'm going to do always, no matter what. And then, you know, you get to the point where, you know, if, as your business grows at some point, you might be faced with the question of, well, I can do this client work and get paid X or I can do this thing. And, uh, and it becomes more challenging. Um, 
of a decision to make, you know, it's just not quite as, quite as clear or like something happens, like you get sick, you know, get the flu and you just like, you break the chain and then all of a sudden you're like, well, I didn't do it last week. I've, uh, you know, what's one more week. Um, I'm getting caught up, you know, and it all becomes more, more challenging. But, um, but yet yeah, I do think there's, and you've talked about this too, of when you, uh, drop off some of your networking, you know, marketing and, and other things like there's a ripple effect weeks, you know, into the future. And so it feels like similarly, um, it's one of those things that you've got to be sowing seeds, watering seeds, whatever for, for what, if, and when you, you need to eat. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> you, you really have to eat. <laughs> so it, it is tricky to, I guess, I mean, Maybe it's just we're all being too hard on ourselves and all of the different stuff, the medium post over there, the newsletter that you were into for six months and then just fell off the face of the earth with and might pick back up for a little bit. Maybe that's all okay because it's just all part of being authentic and genuine and followers like that, you know? And if you're coming out with something every week on the week, they're like, blech, <laughs> I'm so sick of that. I get that from Bed Bath & Beyond. <laughs> I don't need that from you. <laughs> um, so maybe the inconsistency is kind of a, you know, it's not as terrible of a thing as it seems because it's part of the the flaws that make you realize, oh, this was handmade or whatever. Because <laughs> um, I look back like, um, on my Twitter account, right? Which I'm, I've never been into Twitter. I've never been into it. And I have like three or 400 tweets. Like, what are those? This could be anything. How'd that happen? Like, I started it probably because of you in 2009 or something crazy early adopter for being not into it. And, um, you know, probably got into it for a couple times, a couple months out of every couple years. <laughs> and, you know, at least they're all pretty consistent. If you look back, it's just kind of the same person doing the same type of stuff. So it does at least build to the point where somebody looks at me, they're like, well, she's been on Twitter a long time and has a lot of content. It's just not been updated in six months. <laughs> um, you know, and, and it just rounds out. So even uh, all of the little drops we're putting at different buckets. It's like eventually the buckets kind of look a little full. Yeah. It just takes a lot of time. Yeah. I, I, you're probably right. And, and I'm probably putting more pressure on this than I need to. In my mind, the, the thing that's so honorable about some part of this is the consistency. Like if I could draw it out and execute it, actually, you know, like uh, put a plan together and fulfill it, it would be that I would do, I would probably make the argument that it doesn't matter whether I do the medium thing or the blog thing or the email thing. What I need to do is do one thing and do it well for an extended period of time, you know? And, and like uh, me as someone that uh, enjoys setting all of this stuff up, I can find myself going and doing that over and over and over and over and over because like that's the part I'm comfortable with. It's the like it's the, um, uh, you know, the the long haul of showing up week after week or month after month or whatever and putting in the time to do uh, to do the work. That's the much less glamorous, but probably more beneficial portion of any kind of content marketing. 
Yeah, I mean, our opinions really reflect our personalities. So yes. I think that makes total sense. <laughs> Be fair. who you are. <laughs> and that's in, in your world means doing something predictably and consistently and well. And in mine, it's a little, it's a little more uh, creative. <laughs> yeah, a little more season of the day. Yeah. <laughs> well... There it is, you know. Yeah. Uh, we've we've much, solved it. <laughs> much like our personalities. Uh, yeah. I really want this to resolve, and it's not going to. Uh, have to deal with that. Yeah, you're not going to hack the whether or not to use email or not thing anytime soon. You're going to just keep playing with it and then <laughs> and decide whether or not you want to do it over and over again. Yep. <laughs> at least you're not like still creating a newsletter and putting it out there every week and you getting like unsubscribe unsubscribe and dwindling down to like one person yeah what's hard quite honestly is the stuff that i've done that's been most successful that people have like given me good feedback about and stuff is the stuff that i like doing the least <laughs> so I'm, I'm still waiting for the thing that's like everyone's like yeah that's awesome and i'm like oh i'm really enjoying this yeah that is exactly how it goes i mean it's easy, so much easier to write a good article on this real rote thing that you're not really that into <laughs> um yeah well you're doing okay <laughs> all right well stickers <laughs> Yeah, we've still got some stickers left uh, for anybody that's uh, listening and wants one. Uh, she just an email us at the, uh, the address and we'll get one in the mail to you. Yeah, we're going to have to come up with a new uh, a new line of stickers. Yeah, we'll need to. To, to put on top of the old stickers. <laughs> yeah, yes. We'll keep the series. We'll do a very exclusive, like Disney re-releases old movies. We'll do that with stickers. Yeah, start putting the, the date on it so you can collect it so that you can give it for 30 years and then give it to your cousin to sell on eBay. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, <laughs> All right. Thanks, All brother. Right. Yeah, thank you. We'll talk soon. All right. Bye. Bye. You can find show notes from this episode at unfederated.studio. And if this podcast has helped you in your journey, say thanks by rating and reviewing the show in Apple Podcasts.